0: Saul season three, episode six, off brand is over, but we're just getting started here on the Better Call Saul post show recap, and now here are the guys who are filling up on Mickey Mouse pancakes. I'm Rob Sasrino, here's Antonio Mazzaro. Antonio, how are you?
1: I'm just fine, Rob. I'm so happy that you're back to talk about Better Call Saul. You weren't here last week. Uh, we had a lot of pancakes in your absence. Uh, that's two little circles with the one big circle. Yes. So we're very happy that you're back here to talk about Better Call Saul. And we're going to be on brand this week, Rob. We'll be on brand. Back.
0: Yeah, I was serving my one-week suspension, uh, but now <laughs> I am back. I had somebody fill in all of my podcast time that I had bought. So I sold that all to Josh Wiggler. And uh, so he good. came it's all in. all good, man. Yeah, yeah, it's all good, man. And Antonio... <laughs> (laughs) yes, we have finally the genesis. We wondered all this time, was Chuck going to make Jimmy not be able to use his family name? How were we going to have this Saul Goodman character created? We now have our answer.
1: We now have our answer. He has... It's something that the phrase Saul Goodman, we have seen on this show in flashback from Jimmy. So he reached back into the recesses of his mind, back to his days in Cicero, when he's going to pull this uh, alternate character. And here it is, Saul Goodman. We see it. Rob, does Saul Goodman look a little like Vince Gilligan to you? Yeah, yeah. I've
0: seen a (laughs) side-by-side comparison on the Reddit. Um, What did he say? I I need to to do a Karloff here, I think is what he uh, called it.
1: Yeah, he called it a Karloff, putting on some character makeup and really going into character. Uh, I don't know who the character was. It looked like he pulled a vest off of one of those uh, the people from his production crew. But in, in the face, there was a little bit of Vince Gilligan. It also just seemed the commercial like a Mr. Show sketch. It seemed like... Bob Odenkirk wearing just bad makeup saying funny things with all the star wipes. It really did feel a lot like Mr. Show to me as well. So a good nod to to Bob Odenkirk's uh, ability to do this silly character, offbeat character stuff. And we see it at the end of the episode. And this is Saul Goodman. Now, Rob, he says to Kim, eh, it's just a name. Uh, uh, what do we think? Is it really just a name or, or how is this going to take off here? Is he going to have a lot of success as Saul Goodman, TV producer?
0: Well, I'm wondering where this ultimately goes because we've seen such a fascination with this character with TV commercials and then directing these TV commercials. It's been such a big plot point over the first couple of seasons. And even if we remember back to sort of like this prologue that we got with Gene, what is Gene doing the first time that we ever see him in the first episode of the series? He's watching old TV commercials. So there's just something that's like intoxicating to this character about doing these sort of like really pitchy TV commercials and this seems like, I don't know if he's going to get a taste of the commercial business and he loves making the commercials and this approach he finds, like this hard sell is the way that he wants to go and that's going to ultimately he's going to say, hey, why don't I do this for my law firm as opposed to trying to paint myself as sort of like this hero to the older people That I'm trying to reach This is like this used car sort of approach
1: Yeah, it is. there is a lot there, you're right, with the connection to Gene. Matt Coleman had tweeted at us and said, couldn't help but think of Gene watching his commercials by himself while Jimmy was watching his ad with Kim. We know that Saul Goodman, uh, or in in this case, uh, Jimmy McGill, is quite fond of TV and film. This is something that's a passion of his. He references movies and quotes that. That went on throughout season one. We almost didn't go an episode without references like that. So we know this is a passion for him, and we do know, as you're pointing out, that... He's a bit of a hustler. Howard calls him Charlie Hustle. Uh, he can go out there and make a spin spin silk into gold, or whatever you want to say. And so it does seem very natural that if he has some success spinning uh, other people's businesses, that he's going to be like, you know what? One of the big things I'm going to do is I'm going to make this Saul Goodman thing work for me. Uh, and maybe he's going to become pretty well known as Saul Goodman if he's out there really working in the community. Uh, it it does seem like at some point he. Didn't decides that it's not just a character. It's not just a name. It is something that's going to be beneficial to his business. In Breaking Bad, he says... He adopted the name because he wanted criminal clients to think he was Jewish. But we see here now the genesis of that name is a little bit different for sure. Definitely. Also, just going back to
0: the saga at Davis in Maine, like that was the whole kerfuffle there was over right. that he did a commercial without talking to them. You know, his law business really took off when he ended up doing a commercial and getting the footage uh, for that commercial. So there's just something about advertising on these TV commercials that really appeals to him. I don't know necessarily where we go from here. I'm wondering if that we're going to end up seeing with like this lease that he has with Kim, that they have this joint law office and she wants to shut it down. She wants to say, hey, let's get out of our lease because it's not worth it for all this money we're going to pay. And he needs to come up with you know a few thousand dollars a month to be able to pay off this lease. And I'm just wondering if this is how we're going to start to see this uh, Saul Goodman character start to get involved in some of these questionable activities because he needs to you know, pay his nut for the law office.
1: That's what I wondered as well. When we had that initial scene where Jimmy's outside smoking and Kim joins him and Kim says, we should shut this down. And Jimmy says, listen, the, the, the month that I don't pay my rent, that's when we'll talk about shutting this down. And he had no real plan how to do it. My thought initially was this is where he goes into the underworld. Like this is where he can use his knowledge of the law and his ability to talk to advise people in a non-legal capacity, just so, sort of from a – like an advisor or consigliere type role. Uh, he's going to get involved in these sorts of things with Mike. And then by the end of the episode, I thought to myself, no, where he's going to get his money is – He's actually going to become a successful like small-time TV producer, that this is something where he's going to help lots of businesses get this sort of thing hooked up. He's interested in it. He likes the hustle. He's good at it. He's going to make commercials for other people, and that's where he's getting his money. He's going to set up like a production shop. He's already got an office. It doesn't have to be a law office. He, he has a place where he can meet clients, sell people, talk to people. He has that skill. So I thought by the end of the episode, no, it's not going to lead him to a criminal place. Place, it's going to lead him to being a successful TV guy. And I don't really know what to think because I, I like the idea that he'll get compromised and he'll do dirty things. Because we, say, we see in the Chuck storyline when Howard is talking to Chuck, Howard is selling Chuck on the year suspension being a good thing. And Howard says he has the year and he's going to screw up. We know that. So that is the sword hanging over Jimmy McGill is a, go ahead and make your money by getting involved in criminal enterprise. The more you do that, the more you jeopardize your actual freedom because that felony prosecution will come back to bite you if you get caught so i thought there was a lot more drama in that but it sure seems like he's going to be successful as a tv producer as you've noted he's really good at it and he likes doing it so i don't know why he's going to stop with just selling his tv ad
0: yeah again i don't know based on the commercial we saw if he's really good at it but uh he does have a lot of energy
1: yeah, that was done in what, like twenty minutes, Rob. <laughs> like we know that his we know that his pre-planned Jimmy McGill commercial, "Give Me Jimmy," did really well and did really well for him. He's calling all kinds of clients. People remember the ad, so when he has the time to do it, he does really well. And as we've talked about, when he's Gene in the future, that's what he's looking back on with uh, with the most nostalgia is these moments when he was in the commercial and presenting the way he presented. So he is good at it. He just the, yeah, you're right. This particular ad wasn't evidence of his ultimate skill but listen Rob the proof's in the pudding somebody bought it
0: yeah somebody's gonna buy it you know just I think it fits in with this Jimmy McGill character that we've seen over these first uh, two and a half seasons of this show where he ends up doing misdeeds because it comes from a good place and I think in his mind to keep the law office open, like the physical office open with Kim. And then also don't forget about that. We have Francesca where Kim is like, I think we need to let her go. And Jimmy's like, no, why would we do that? We can't let her go. I like her. We need to keep her on board. So now he has to cover her salary too. So this is now a lot of money that he needs to come up with every month. And so whether it's uh, by hook or by crook in this instance, you know, He's going to try to go out there and provide for these people that he doesn't want to leave him.
1: Yeah, it, it certainly – gr- that's a good observation, and it doesn't really track with what we know about Saul Goodman from Breaking Bad, but it certainly does track with what we know about Jimmy McGill, that a lot of the time, the, the scrapes that he gets into hell, the one that's got him suspended to begin with was because, because he thought he was acting in defense of the greater good. In this case, he thought he was acting to help Kim and that she deserved it, and that's why he did it. And so he has always gotten himself into trouble by doing that sort of thing. And it does seem to stand to reason that that could be something that springs from this issue of trying to keep his office open, both because he doesn't want to give it up and both and because of Francesca, as you're observing. So you could get a, a situation where it's both, where his production skills and his his huckster skills, because what is advertising, if not a really short con, uh, creating a problem, saying that this product is going to help you solve it. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. But you're. Praying on feelings and things like that. Jimmy is a con man at heart. Uh, and so it makes sense that he would be really good in the commercial context. And you can use that for good or for ill will. And even though he thinks it's for the right thing, it could end up in some bad spots. Okay.
0: So a lot more to talk about from this episode. Let's just at the top of the show get it out there. If you want to subscribe for our Better Call Saul podcast, make sure you can do that at, on the iTunes Store or they call it Apple Podcast now, Antonio.
1: Oh, what are they doing? They've changed it up on yes, us? Yes, rebranding, much like Jimmy McGill. Oh. Yes, uh, let's say Apple Podcast. I guess that's on brand. It's not off brand. Yeah, Go to postshowrecaps.com
0: slash BCS iTunes. We have to update our link, I guess, eventually. Postshowrecaps.com slash BCS iTunes to subscribe or leave us your feedback and your star ratings. Uh, much appreciated. Antonio, uh, you and Josh Wiggler did a great job during my one-week suspension last week.
1: Thank you, Rob. I was sad that uh, Saul, my Sol Saul Bay was not here, my podcasting Sol Bay, uh, to talk about last week's episode. Were you Were you like us? Were you very thrilled with uh, last week's episode and the the tension? Even though we didn't have the more popular parts of the story, it didn't seem to matter to us. Was it a thrilling episode for you? Yeah, I
0: thought it was a great episode. Again, that last scene was really fantastic, of course, uh, with the reappearance of Huel putting the battery into uh, Chuck's breast pocket. And for me, coming out of that episode, one of the things that I was really thinking of, and I know you guys were talking about with the exit sign, did that mean was Chuck going to uh, commit suicide? And that was definitely a thought that I had had. But I, I did feel like, what what is next for Chuck now that it's sort of been disproven in this public forum that his disease is a sham? Or at least is something that's probably more of a mental issue than anything else. And how does he come to terms with that? And I think that we did end up seeing that uh, explored in this episode tonight. And I think that Chuck is in a more dangerous place now if sort of like Jimmy is under the belief that Chuck is just confined to his house and there's really not what can Chuck actually do to him if he never goes to Chuck. Chuck can't hurt him There's nothing Chuck can do Unless he like steps foot in Chuck's house But as we saw in this episode
1: Chuck is venturing out into the world Chuck is venturing out into the world. Chuck is trying to cure himself of his issues uh, through immersion therapy, just grabbing batteries left and right, Rob, and uh, soldiering his way through the neon streets of Albuquerque. It is a rough life for Chuck McGill, and he does seem to place a call to the doctor, uh, the doctor, Laura Cruz, uh, who is also uh, has a hilarious role on Veep, I might add. I can't wait to see her back on this show. Uh, But that's the doctor who, throughout the course of the first two seasons of Better Call Saul, has wanted Chuck committed. She's the first one to pull a battery trick on Chuck McGill uh, to make an uh, make a point to Jimmy that it was a mental condition, not a physical one. Jimmy has fought her at every turn to not commit Chuck. And so this does seem to be a moment of submission for Chuck to, to put himself out there, to walk out into the world and to go through the very difficult aspect of making a phone call to this doctor. And it, it sounds like a real cry for help from Chuck. But you're right. What's next after That like, if he gets better, is it a is it a the start of a hero turn for Chuck? Do we have enough? Do we have enough patience, Rob, for this show to to put Chuck McGill through a hero turn just to later use him as a way to bring negativity into the story? Like something bad happens to Chuck or Jimmy does something that makes Jimmy look evil in the context of him becoming more of the Saul Goodman type. Uh, do we have enough patience for seeing Chuck McGill get better uh, and then maybe later play that role in the story?
0: So you're saying to have him be the hero or the protagonist? I, I don't think that we are are going to be able to have enough time to do that. I think that the audience uh, feels the way they feel about Chuck after all of his time as the heel of this story. I don't think we're going to come around on him, but I do wonder if there is another chapter of the Chuck story where we could see a Chuck, if not fully recovered, what does it look like to see Chuck back on his feet where in beating Chuck like we saw in last week's episode, did he somehow also put chuck on a path where now he knows the only way that he can beat jimmy again is to overcome this condition that he has and will we see a you know fully recovered sort of just like he's using his uh, like desire for revenge and his hate for jimmy to sort of power him to overcome his uh physical ailment which has really kept him uh you know confined to his house throughout the whole series. I, I mean, could, could you imagine? And that seems somewhat terrifying.
1: Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. There's only two ways that Chuck overcoming his physical ailment can play. One is, oh, my gosh, like we feel bad for a guy. He's mentally ill. Even though we've hated him as a heel, they made it somehow uh, where he is appealing again because he goes through this horrible trial of making himself better. Uh, But I think it's much better the way you're suggesting, which is that he gets better in part fueled by his anger for Jimmy. And then when he gets better is a monster adversary to Jimmy. Let's say it takes Chuck a full year year to get better. At the end of that year, is he is he ultimately coming after Jimmy? Or by the way, Rob, does he go into treatment and it goes sideways and he still finds a bitter end? Uh, maybe he kills himself. Maybe he otherwise shorts out in some capacity in, in, in some way during this therapy. I, I don't know if, if the exit sign is a true exit. Uh, Chuck toasts Howard in this episode to new beginnings uh, and a new beginning for Chuck would certainly be trying to get a grasp on his recovery and it Admit That it might be more mental than physical. So I just don't know how that ends. If he does recover, the, the best version of that is he recovers and he's very angry. And we have a Chuck McGill at full strength coming at Jimmy. The reason I think that's interesting is if you draw a causal line, Chuck McGill's incident, everything that happened with the tape and all of it and the hearing, that is what led Jimmy McGill to the position where he created Saul Goodman. He would not be making that commercial. He would not be creating that character if it were not for the fact that he got his law license suspended. And that's all because of Chuck. So in an indirect way, Chuck created Saul Goodman. He made this monster. It is now Chuck who in this episode when Rebecca goes to Jimmy and Rebecca's like, come help your brother. Jimmy is finally broken. Jimmy says, no, I'm done. And that is a loss of humanity, no matter how you slice it. For Jimmy McGill, we've seen who at every turn has put up with what Chuck has done and has gone back and said, you're my brother, I'm going to take care of you. That loss of humanity in this episode, by the end of the episode, we see Saul Goodman. So it it stands to reason that if you want to say Saul Goodman becomes a very bad person, part of that story could be Chuck recovers and there's another battle between the two of them.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, really interesting to watch how that ends up playing out, and uh, what is the next step for Chuck. We don't get that in this episode, but uh, I think it would be fun to see also if while Jimmy's on this one year of probation, if also you know he's now starting to get into some illicit activity, then Chuck is also sort of like uh, looming where it, he's looking to bust Jimmy on some of the stuff he's doing.
1: Yes, and will that create tension between Howard and Chuck – because we see that great speech that Howard gives Chuck where he really props him up and he compares him to Clarence Darrow. Uh, and he says, Jimmy's not worth it. He's not worth the effort. You're wasting your legal mind and you're wasting the, the contributions you could make to the law by focusing on your brother. And yet in the scenario you describe, that would be exactly what Chuck would be doing, which is getting better and yet still focusing on Jimmy and Chuck and trying to be like the Jimmy police. And in that scenario, I just don't know how much Howard is going to be willing Willing to put up with, we've already seen him a little bit at odds with the Jimmy McGill situation with Chuck. We've already seen that draw a little bit of a line between the two of them. We do see the coming back together of the two of them here, and Chuck toast to new beginnings. If Chuck does not move on, especially when he's better, you got to feel like that's going to cause a problem with Howard.
0: Let's uh, talk through some of the other points as we go along from this journey to become Saul Goodman here in this episode. Uh, We started off seeing the action with uh, Jimmy back at the court case, and we see some of uh, Kim's closing argument. Uh, Some time has passed since the end of the last episode, Antonio. And uh, I thought that Kim actually did a really good job of bringing in a lot of uh, Jimmy McGill's clients We learn that they've gotten some testimony or at least testimonials from some of the older folk that Jimmy has been taking care of.
1: Yeah, and I'm, we don't need to see that on the show. I'm glad we got an indication that it wasn't just this big Matlock moment with Chuck that was their case, that they also put on a case that was pro-Jimmy, that was about the appeal of Jimmy McGill as a person and as a lawyer and sold his humanity. We, you can look in the background at the gallery and see uh, almost a who's whom of uh, Jimmy's previous clients. We see the Alpine Shepherd boy lady, for example, sitting there in the, uh, in the oh. audience and yeah so that makes sense I like that we've got we 've got these people who are on jimmy 's team uh, and it is it shouldn't it shouldn 't be ignored that Jimmy is very appealing to a lot of his clients They really do like him so I like seeing Kim being a really good lawyer it 's another great moment for Kim. I like seeing that they, laid, they they laid their case out the right way, and that all these people are there to support jimmy i think that that 's a I think it's a good reminder that, yeah, even though we don't see him that way and in part because we're colored by what we know from Breaking Bad, uh, the truth is that Jimmy is a good person to a lot of these people. He does let them slide on the money. He doesn't charge them a ton of money. Uh, he does treat them nicely and take the time to care about what they're saying. Even if behind the scenes he gets annoyed about it, Like he does provide a good service for these people. So it's important, I think, in an episode where almost right after that we see a loss of humanity from Jimmy – that we recenter the humanity of Jimmy McGill uh, because there's a lot more stakes. And when it gets lost, if we are reminded of what he had and continuing to do that throughout is really smart.
0: At the same time that we're getting uh, some of uh, Kim's closing statements, we're also seeing Rebecca still in the picture. She's going and banging on Chuck's door. He's not answering. Eventually, we're going to see Jimmy and Kim back at uh, their office and they're toasting champagne. And Rebecca comes in. She wants Jimmy to come with her and go help Chuck. And uh, it did look, I thought that he was going to go with her.
1: Yeah, so did I. There's there's definitely a little bit of trepidation on his part. This is not a decision that he arrives at lightly. Uh, we've seen him put up with a lot from Chuck. We heard it in the scene before. He got up at 5 a.m. every morning, went to the only newsstand in town that had the Financial Times or whatever it was, and does all of these things for Chuck. But now he's at the end of his rope. And, yeah, he's celebrating and he's happy. And it seems like a victory over Chuck. But it is a difficult choice. And I also think part of that, we had this underscored last week, I think part of it is Jimmy does also feel bad about how he used Rebecca in this situation. And Rebecca is pointing that out in this scene, right? She says, oh, well, Chuck was right about you all along. This was never about you helping him. This was always about you helping you. And uh, and Rebecca really storms off there. I feel like she's not being understandable. Enough personally. Uh, I'm taking Jimmy's side a little in this one. Like, l- let's talk about the fact that Chuck is mentally ill, but he's also a brilliant person who, for all intents and purposes, has to be scammed into proving that it's a mental illness. He seems like he's got it together uh, if he presents a different way. So, this is a guy whose mental illness comes up very conveniently and is certainly questionable in terms of how it presents. So, for Rebecca to just write Jimmy off, not knowing really the full extent of everything, it felt a little wrong to me uh, i felt bad for jimmy in the scene who among us wouldn't really feel how jimmy feels after all of this mm-hmm.
0: yeah i totally uh, get where he's coming from but i really did feel like that when rebecca was pleading with him like hey he's your brother especially when she said you know i guess chuck was right about you all this time then uh, i did think that he was eventually gonna go
1: it, it, it's funny because I don't know if he feels an obligation. Uh, he can be his true self around Kim to an extent, but I don't know if he feels an obligation to Kim at all. Like if he feels like, okay, I got to look like a good person around Kim. Like if that plays a role in well, this. Well, I feel like Kim but would
0: tell him don't go. Like, uh, hey.
1: I think Kim would tell him don't go. Exactly. That's the thing is I don't know what's in his head. I feel like I know what, what's going on with Rebecca. She seems to be altruistic. Like she seems to just want to help Chuck. Uh, it seems like Kim would be like, distance yourself from that guy. You don't need to do that. We've seen Kim blow up at Chuck, and I feel like Jimmy is somewhere in the middle. Uh, Jimmy is being pulled by Kim to to just move on and to celebrate and to do all these things, and I think by Rebecca to do something different, and it is, as I said, a loss of humanity at the end of the day. He squelches what I think you're saying is presenting as a very real desire to still care for his brother, and I think by doing that, I think he puts himself in a position where when you start to kill yourself bit, bit by bit, little by little in terms of your humanity like that uh, you end up being Saul Goodman at the end of the day and I think this is a pretty good example this clear choice that he makes not only upsetting Rebecca but also to leave Chuck hanging Uh, it is not what we've seen from him throughout the course of this series so to see it now it does represent a difference in Jimmy McGill and it's one I think he wears pretty hard in that scene now do you think that we're done with Rebecca after this I wondered the same thing and I don't know the answer to that Uh, because if Chuck checks himself in, and is going to get help. I don't see how Rebecca's really playing a role in that part of the story. It's a weird final scene for Rebecca that she just storms out of Jimmy's office, if so. Uh, I don't know. I guess it just depends on where we think the Chuck story is going from here. Uh, If he's going to require more help, if it's going to continue to be a thing that Jimmy ignores, how much Rebecca is really up for putting up with it all, or once Chuck checks himself in, if that's what happens, does Rebecca feel like, okay, my work here is done, he's getting the help he needs, and leave... I think we'll probably have another scene between Chuck and Rebecca, uh, but I don't know how much more legs there is in the story from a narrative standpoint with Rebecca being involved.
0: Yeah, I just don't know why we got her again in this episode. If this was all there was going to be, I don't know where it's going and why we even got her in in the first place. Like, I, I really, you guys talked about it on the podcast last week. I, I didn't really understand why she was integral to this plan working.
1: Yeah, it it didn't – I'm not sure that she was necessarily integral. It just felt like having her there put Chuck on tilt a little bit, and it was being on tilt that allowed them to get him to the place where he ultimately blew up the way he did in – The hearing, the Kane mutiny scene where he's losing control and just shouting everyone down and then realizes he's gone too far. Without her being there, could they have gotten him to that point? Probably. But her being there certainly put him on tilt. And I think that was the main reason for it. But you're right. As for where this is going, uh, it's hard to say. Jason from Calgary has has said, maybe we shouldn't just try to figure out where it's going uh, because we know where it ends up. We have no idea how it gets there. And it's brilliant writing on the part of the show to keep a show exactly like this not knowing what's next we have this Rebecca scene here as I said I think there is some element of that that is showing the real loss of Jimmy's humanity and how Jimmy is now ready to say no to Chuck and what that means for him as a person but I don't know what role Rebecca has left in this story without knowing how what are we going to do with Chuck is what is the end for Chuck how much do we want Chuck to be continuing on the show I really thought as I said in that podcast that he could have died stroked out at the end of that episode and you would have found a way to make that work, but they're clearly playing a longer game with this, and it feels like maybe there's another Chuck and Jimmy confrontation to
0: come. Yeah, and we get Hamlin coming to pay his respects. Chuck actually lets him in. They are drinking uh, McAllen. Is that a real Scotch?
1: Yeah. McAllen. Yeah. 35 year old McAllen. Howard says coming out of my end. Don't worry. Like I love I love Howard. But like I said, I think this scene is it's very telling because this is Howard saying, let's put the Jimmy thing to bed for once and all. Let's toast to new beginnings. Let's not have you, a brilliant legal mind, waste any more time on your brother. And if we're going to see a Chuck McGill getting better and Chuck McGill going back to that, that's going to put a strain on this stuff with Howard.
0: And I wonder if this is another sign that we might get the fully uh, back in business version of Chuck. Because I don't know how we keep Hamlin in the story if we don't keep him back to working with Chuck. Like I, I could see Chuck getting back on his feet and you know uh, being you know back partners uh, with Hamlin.
1: I I can, too. And keep in mind, that Sandpiper case is theoretically still going on. And that was probably the apex of Chuck and Jimmy, like the best of them being on the same page. And Jimmy is not involved in that case anymore, but ostensibly is meant to get a payout from the settlement pool of that case. That will take a while, but that's something that they all share and they've all worked on. Mesa Verde, I mean, is Chuck going to get better and really come at Mesa Verde? Is that what's going to happen, and is that going to keep Hamlin and Kim and their relationship? center stage in this part of the story it's really hard to say Uh, we don't know that I I just don't think that there's room in this show for Chuck and Howard uh, Chuck getting back to the best that he can be and Howard being in the show without finding some way for that to generate conflict with Kim and Jimmy and so it feels like the more likely scenario is they get better they're quote unquote back to practice Howard wants to focus on clients and really making it rain and Chuck still won't let Jimmy go. And that's the strain we get from the Chuck and Howard Hamlin Hamlin McGill law firm actually being back up to speed. It's that McGill himself doesn't want a real part of it and instead wants to focus on his brother. And
0: then once Hamlin leaves, this is when we get to see Chuck like holding some of those D cells in his hand.
1: Oh, yeah what a gangster Chuck is like how such a badass. He's able to hold a battery. Yeah.
0: Room. Hey, Tony, do you think that we're ever going to get more backstory on the exact cause of what made Chuck begin to have this sort of break from reality or start to believe that he has this condition? I mean, or do you think that there was enough there to sort of uh, piece it together that this was when Rebecca left him? This is when this started, because I just don't know what is the connective tissue between Rebecca leaving him and then him having a sensitivity to uh, any sort of like uh, electronics, uh, electromagnetic fields, or whatever?
1: Uh, I think it's a good question by you, in that we don't really know what the what the genesis in in very specific realms is why her leaving would cause that specific thing, uh, but I feel like we've had enough now that I personally don't need anymore. Uh, it feels like there is a there is enough of a link is suggested by the show that they had an amicable parting uh, they were on good terms, but she wanted to focus on her career she 's a legitimate artist uh, he was going to stay in Albuquerque and work on the law and let's just let's just break it off because she's gonna go around the world she's not going to stay in Albuquerque so it was amicable she does still care about him and when we saw that flashback scene at the beginning of last episode I think that was in play it wasn't that there was a hostility there it was simply that they were on good terms but she was just not going to be in Albuquerque and that was that uh, but it certainly seems like her leaving is what precipitated Chuck's condition it doesn't seem like she left because of that so it does seem like the that her leaving it, it was It was directly related, or even indirectly related, but still related to Chuck developing that condition. I don't think it matters that we see any more details about that. That's why I thought Chuck could die last episode because I felt like we closed the loop on that. I felt like we had enough information to suggest okay, this is a mental condition and the onset was when his wife left and when she came back, he was trying to hide it from her because he still hoped to reconcile with her and he actually still does but it wasn't the electrosensitivity that caused her to leave. She's up for putting up with that and trying to help him. It was actually something different that they just weren't meant to be together. Together as people and they had different goals out of life. So I don't really think we need any more info and I don't think we're going to get it. I feel like it's close enough to say dude's got a mental illness. It popped up right after his marriage ended uh, and even though his wife doesn't really seem to care about that and actually wants to help him, uh, they're not married anymore, not because of that, but for other reasons. Yeah,
0: I wonder if also the cell phone, which you know uh, certainly was significant in that particular conversation, I wonder if she was getting a ton of of cell phone calls prior to them splitting up and that was sort of what he sort of like traced it back to that it was the cell phone oh, that was ultimately pulling her away and that's where he sort of like uh, got that idea because there was so so much like uh you know really that they've done a good a good job of sort of like helping us sort of get things from Chuck's POV and like the way that the cell phone was like glowing like I could see that sort of like being sort of like the inciting object where where he felt like he ended up having this uh, sensitivity where every time that cell phone would ring and it was the conductor calling her away, that's where you know, he was uh, starting to uh, get the, the genesis of this.
1: That's a really good point. Uh, I think that, that that's uh, entirely valid. Like it, And so it definitely triggers him when she shows back up and it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely think that's a, that's a good observation. The maestro is calling her, Rob. Uh, when the maestro calls... You got to answer. You mean Bob? Yeah. Um, yeah, Bob. Yeah, I mean Bob. Sorry, not yeah. the maestro. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um,
0: then uh, we go back to Jimmy's office and uh, we see that Jimmy has now gotten the fish tank uh, after last week uh, taking the fish to go see the veterinarian. Uh,
1: yes, unlike Sarah, unlike Sarah Lacina, Jimmy has gotten the fish, uh, the fish. Yes,
0: guy. he's gotten the fishy, and he's gotten the <laughs> tank all set up. And so he realizes that he bought all this commercial time and he needs to uh, get somebody to pull down the commercial. Uh, he's got nine errands. Left, he's going to be out four thousand uh, dollars for those commercial spots, and uh, this seems like that this is a you know uh, life changing amount of money for Jimmy.
1: It certainly when he's got no income coming in uh, is, is a big problem, right? Like even though it's a seemingly small amount of money, the kind of thing that as a lawyer he would have been able to generate with a little bit of work, uh, it is a big problem when he has no money for sure. And I don't know what his rent is, but I got to imagine like that's a couple months rent probably. And if that's the case, like this is something that definitely needs to be addressed. And we did get that uh, classic Better Call Saul montage where he's calling all of his clients, I think I haven't had a chance to really to really go through that with a fine-tooth comb, but it wouldn't shock me if some of the people that he's calling there are Breaking Bad Easter eggs or are people that we've seen in the context of this show. Uh, it's probably worth revisiting that little sequence there. I don't know 100% everybody that he's talking about. I, the, the last person he calls... Is Mr. Yelowitz and Mr. Yelowitz uh, reminds him of his commercial, makes him a little sentimental. And that's what makes him realize like, oh, my God, if I don't go get my commercial off the air, I'm going to be in serious trouble with the Bar Association because I'm a suspended lawyer. I cannot continue to promote my legal services on TV And that's the real problem for him. He's got to get that commercial down or he's going to be in further trouble with the Bar Association than he already is. And the problem is that he's on the hook for the money because he contracted with the TV station to continue to air these commercials. So here's our Jimmy McGill quandary for the episode. But he puts it to bed by the end of the episode.
0: Yeah. Did you think that Kim uh, was a little hard on him when she's like, "Uh, "Look, I can't look at any more contracts. Uh, You figure it out.
1: Uh, fair enough. The The concern that I've had, and it does feel, unfortunately, a little bit like uh, Chekhov's gun in that it really does feel like Mesa Verde is going to blow up in Kim's face at some point. Last week, we had her telling Paige that, don't worry, uh, Mesa Verde is not going to be implicated in any of this. Uh, and it just felt like this thing where it's like, oh boy, that's going to come back to get you. Like, I don't know how, and I don't know if it means McGill, Chuck gets better and comes at Mesa Verde because he really wants to hurt Jimmy at that point. Uh, I don't know if that's what we're going to see, but it just feels like Mesa Verde is going to come back. So it's important to keep them in the story as something that's occupying Kim's time. And so I didn't feel like that was super harsh. Like she, she's she got a, we have to see her working on Mesa Verde and it being a thing that's important to her. We have to continue to see that in the story so that later on when it does blow up, it's a it's a thing that matters because we've continued to assign value to
0: it. I know, it. but just with 2020 hindsight, if we're talking about that, you know, this commercial contract is going to be the thing that's going to ultimately set Jimmy McGill on this path, (laughs) that he's going to become this despicable Saul Goodman. Yeah, she could have read the contract. She could have taken five minutes.
1: Yeah, she may come to regret that very much later down the line. Like, why didn't I take the extra 20 minutes that day uh, and prevent this whole thing from snowballing? It is one of those incidents where there probably wasn't a loophole in the contract, but if there was, uh, Kim is the kind of person that will find it. And to be fair, Jimmy did find a loophole. Uh, his loophole is a very Charlie Hustle style loophole. Uh, and Jimmy Kim does sign off on that loophole when Jimmy explains to her what it's going to be. She actually calls it smart. So could she have found another way around that? Uh, it's possible, but she does sign off on the way that he chooses. So I guess she gets what she deserves at some point.
0: Antonio, he does say though that his contract prohibits him from reselling the time, yet we see him calling a bunch of people to try to sell that airtime. So uh,
1: what am- am missing here he realizes at some point that I think that he and when we see the pitch when he goes to the carpet company what he's actually doing is a letter of the law versus spirit of the law thing he's being very lawyerly here when he's saying like the contract says I can't sell my airtime it doesn't say I can't give it away and so what he's selling are he's going to use his interns uh, to the students to film a commercial for that business. And he's going to charge them for that, but then he's going to give them his airtime for free. And his contract says something about selling the airtime, but doesn't say anything oh, so about he's giving producing
0: the commercial for them, but then giving them the airtime for free.
1: Yes, yes. That's the special package that he's offering the carpet people in that next scene after we have all that sign-off. After he and Kim are outside uh, fight, discussing over what's going to happen, we see him making this desperate pitch. And he's saying, like, our, our number one suite. And he names the exact amount. He's like, nine commercials. It's the exact amount of money that he owes. And he's like, what we're going to do is you will pay me to shoot your commercials and then you'll get the airtime for free. And that's his workaround. So it is, a, it is a very lawyerly way to get around a contract. And if you look into that that in a contract dispute, that would be something you could dispute in the court of law because he's certainly going against the spirit of what would be the clause in the contract. But he's probably not going against the letter of it and he's probably got enough ground to stand on that he can get away and with.
0: And Tony, those carpet people should have taken out the commercial because they could have put uh, Nacho's dad's upholstery business uh right out on the street
1: (laughs) and then that would have worked really well for hector right uh we'll get into that so yeah they could have done that to be fair to them jimmy was like we'll have to start shooting in the next 15 minutes it's like (laughs) what kind of pitch are you really making here man (laughs) yeah like that that's sort of like i'm stuck at a hotel and i've lost my passport if you could just immediately put this money in my bank account i'll pay you back when i get Mm -hmm. home uh
0: were you excited that the film school kids were all back
1: it's fun to see them. I think, it's, I think they got a lot of uh, mileage out of uh, the kid with the glasses, uh, Tim Stinks. That's who he looks yeah. like. Uh, he looks like somebody that we've seen in other realms. Uh, but when, when they get the uh, – when, when, when Jimmy is asking like, All right, can you say this line? Can you say this line? He just takes one look at that kid and he's like, Woof, no, I don't want you on same. TV. Wolf. Yeah. yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. So I like the mileage they're, get, they're getting out of those people. That's good. Good guy.
0: Right. He's talking to them about uh, what their roles could be. He's asking uh, the girl. Uh, I think so you were in drama club. Turns out she was the treasurer of the drama club. Yeah, yeah.
1: I thought you were the president. No, I'm the, I'm the treasurer. So maybe not a high ranking level member of the drama club. Not high enough to have the acting chops to really bring it on this uh, on this commercial. Yeah.
0: Uh, and they ultimately film the commercial that we end up seeing uh, at the end of the episode, and then. Um, I mean, I'm interested to know where we ultimately go. I mean, do you think that we will have some familiar client? Because I don't know necessarily if this is sort of like a if we can see the obvious direction that this is heading, this commercial business. Like we're saying, like OK, well, he'll probably start to be able to take on some illicit activity now that he has this pseudonym. But in terms of the commercial business, I don't know where that part of the story is going.
1: We know a couple businesses there in Albuquerque, right? We know there's a car wash uh, that plays a role in Breaking Bad, so it's possible Bogdan wants to take out some uh, TV ads, and uh, and they go to that site to shoot. And we do see a Walter White in the background. I don't. But other know than like fan about service the timeline,
0: like uh, which, Yeah, other than fan yeah, service,
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, you could uh, you could foresee a circumstance where he gets involved with a business that is more closely connected. As you said, the carpet company could get in. in Line with uh, Nacho's uh, dad's upholstery company, but we've got a we've got a Los Pollos Hermanos. We've got. We've got a, uh, an ice cream company, uh, The Winking Greek. We have, uh, we know Crazy Eight's dad has a furniture store. So there are ways to do fan service and connect it to these bigger Breaking Bad storylines that also connect to the Better Call Saul storylines. Uh, there's probably a way for him to, maybe he advertises for the vet uh, and he starts laundering money like through his commercial corporation. We don't know where his money laundering started. We know he's a pro at it by the time we get to Breaking Bad. There's a laser tag business in play there so there's fan service that could also lead him down the line as you're saying where he gets into some more of the underworld through this fan service so his his uh production company could turn into a money laundering operation pretty quickly okay um is there anything else from the jimmy and chuck of it all that you wanted to talk about no i i just don't know uh i don't know ultimately like i said the the weird thing is that it really took Chuck truly burning Jimmy to to push him into this Saul Goodman position where he ends up by the end of this episode but He's not fully there emotionally. Right now, Jimmy's saying that Saul Goodman is just a name. He's not saying like, yeah, this is my id, or this is some part of me that I really want to, really, that really speaks to something that I, I want to let go or emerge from a chrysalis fully formed uh, in different ways. But I think it's interesting when we say where is Chuck going, if we say Chuck gets into a position where he's smart and comes at Jimmy again, does Jimmy then go fully over the line, and is it then a, a continued story where Kim sort of set this up last season when she said, it's your fault that he is how he is. You treat him this way and Rebecca in this episode says Chuck was right about you all along. It's one of those things where Jimmy continually is put in these buckets by people and it takes Chuck really pushing him away for Jimmy to end up in a position where he creates Saul Goodman. So that's in name alone. When we talk about in attitude of Saul Goodman, how do we get Jimmy McGill to where he is a mean person? He's willing to kill. He's a full criminal. He's doing all these things. I feel like maybe we could get Chuck into that story more and there could be another big Jimmy. Chuck face off. Okay. We got to
0: see Jimmy McGill become Saul Goodman and start making some commercials, but somebody who does not need the help of Saul Goodman are our friends over at True Car because, uh, you know, Antonio, there's something a lot of people don't know about True Car that they can help people buy a used car as well. And uh, again, uh, you don't need a Saul Goodman type character for that. That's who you're normally dealing with when you're trying to buy. used car
1: right, but this is different. There's uh, there's a lot more information in play here. A lot of stuff that's up front. There's a
0: better way to go because uh, with 700,000 pre-owned vehicles available from True Car Certified Dealers nationwide, when you're looking to buy that new or used car, you can get upfront pricing information that empowers, discounts off the list price of used car, and a better buying experience through the True Car Certified Dealer Network. No slipping jimmies here. You'll get to see what other people are paying for the car that you want so you know what a fair price is and You can feel confident with True Car, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing to enjoy a quick and easy car buying experience, so you can easily find the new or used car that you want. There's over 13,000 True Car certified dealers that are all across this wonderful nation that we live in. So When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Alright, uh, so there was... A lot of other stuff going on besides uh jimmy and chuck in this episode and we're a little bit all over the map here so i guess uh do you want to talk about nacho this was certainly the biggest nacho episode in a while
1: Yeah, we should because I think the Nacho conflict and I think what we're seeing develop with Nacho in this episode is probably going to drive uh, a lot of that story with Nacho and Hector and maybe even Gus throughout the course of the rest of this season. I think we're seeing a second half of season story develop and it is one that could involve our other characters since Nacho has had connections with Jimmy and Chuck, I'm sorry, Jimmy and Mike. Uh, So it could be something that's boiling up and we're seeing the genesis of it here. We do get the full Nacho. Nacho. We see Nacho Nacho. in his work with Hector. The full Nacho. Yeah, Nacho Supreme I think is what we're getting here. Uh, We ultimately see Nacho being a uh, collector for Hector, an enforcer for Hector, a uh, a seamstress for his father or a seamster, I guess, maybe, uh, for his dad. And we see him doing all these different things. But by the end of the episode, Rob, I think we see uh, Chekhov's medication there under Nacho's foot. That certainly seems like something that's going to come Yeah,
0: that seems like a really big... I, I can't imagine anybody's watching the show and not just like hanging a lantern on uh, the pill falling on the floor uh, later on in this episode when he finds out about Tuco ending up uh, not making his parole or 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 getting in trouble. Definitely feels like that we are going to end up uh, intentionally. And, and you know, uh, to get Gus Fring involved, and we know that Gus loves poisons too, right?
1: He does. Uh, He does. And we've seen this. We've seen things be dropped into people's drinks. Uh, We've seen uh, poisons in in other forms emerge. Uh, We've seen multiple characters using it. Not only does Gus love it, the show loves it. Uh, It seems likely that we're going to see some pills switched at some point. And that's the kind of thing we could get Mike involved in. Nacho could do on his own. What do you feel, Rob, after the events of this episode with Nacho, where we saw him being Basically, bossed around by Hector and just putting up with it, but being interested in that pill by the end. Do you feel there's still a chance that Nacho is already working with Gus? It's interesting
0: because we did have the scene back in Los Pueblos Hermanos a couple of weeks ago where they sort of like shared a look. Then we had the moment in this week's episode where Nacho was going to go pick up the packages of drugs and he wanted six. And then basically like Gus's guys like, you know, really got upset about that. They called Gus and said uh, he wants six and Gus says, "Okay, let him have six.
1: Let him have six, Uh, and Gus said that without much trepidation. Uh, Gus is a longer-game kind of guy, and whatever he wants to do with Hector, he has not executed his final version of that yet. Uh, He's got Hector in a place now where Hector is very needy, uh, and he's let Hector push him around to the point where we see the Los Pollos Hermanos operation is bringing Hector's drugs in, And, and yet, as you're pointing out, we see Nacho taking an extra one and Gus letting that go. We also saw when we knew Gus did not want Hector killed, we saw Nacho standing in front of Mike's line of sight at the end of last season and preventing that from happening. For all intents and purposes, Mike would have already taken that shot before the car horn comes into play and Mike walks away. Mike could have taken the shot at Hector if Nacho hadn't been standing there. So whether or not he's working with Gus already or whether or not that's something that will happen, he certainly seems like primed for it. Uh, he's already been willing to sell out the Salamancas. We know he recruited Mike to take out Tuco uh, and he's being treated terribly by Hector. And it sure seems like Hector wanting to bring Nacho's dad into the mix is the sort of thing that Nacho would say. Look, enough is enough. I will do these things and I'll work for you, Gus or whoever. Uh, but I'm not going to let my dad be dragged into this. Uh, and maybe not the, the the two options, right? Are Nacho's working with Gus or he's not? If he's not and he goes into his own business to take out Hector, we know that's a thing that Gus does not like. So whether he's not, whether or not he's at odds with Gus or on the same page with him, if he tries to take out Hector on his own. I feel like that's the sort of thing that can put him really sideways with Gus Frang, whether he meant to or not. And he, Hector does end up in a wheelchair, Rob. So is he going to end up in a wheelchair? Because of this issue with the medicine, uh, we had some questions, uh, people asking, like, by the end of this season, are we going to see this? Uh, do you think that's the case? By the end of the season, are we going to see Hector in that wheelchair because of this medicine?
0: Uh, I'll guess yes. Uh, I feel like that this might be too far down the road to like, establish it here. And then in two seasons, we're going to do that. I mean, how much time could we really be spending going through everything with, uh, with Hector here?
1: yeah Rob's taboo buzzer said we need to track that pill because you know Gus loves that maybe Nacho pulls a 180 because of his dad or is already working for Gus and I think that's the central issue and it certainly does seem like um, that's something that we should track here it would be like Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul for us to expect that that would happen and then for it to end up slightly different Uh, so maybe Gus does prevent it from happening even though Nacho's able to go through with it we see Hector drinking that coffee in this episode that's how it begins with Hector grabbing is coffee. Uh, mm-hmm. So there is a delivery mechanism already in play here. Uh, it Does he use stevia? Lydia. Does he use stevia? It's a very good question. So uh, there's a lot going on there. And again, that's the show both being able to do fan service by by referencing or by playing at things that happen later in Breaking Bad but also advancing the story of this particular characters uh, that are in the Breaking Bad world but in Nacho's case are not uh, and are are at odds so we're going to have some good stuff coming from this for sure.
0: At the point that we see that Hector dropped one of the pills on the floor uh, Nacho has it right so it's going to be a matter of what you would want to do here in the scenario and and again not that I poison anybody is you want to open up that pill capsule replace it with something and then uh pop that back in and then you have to do something that's going
1: to get Hector upset so that he takes the pill again right yeah and that, that is uh that's probably easy to do, easy enough. It seems like Hector gets upset pretty easily. Uh, the Tuco thing is something that was referenced in Breaking Bad. We know that that's a moment that they were going to hit on this show because they sent him to jail, uh, and that's something Hank brings up on Breaking Bad is, that, is this incident with Tuco potentially stabbing someone. So... This is something that definitely happens. Uh, we knew it would happen or we had an idea that it would happen with Tuco. It serves a lot of masters, but the one thing it does is, as you're pointing out, it shows that Hector can get triggered pretty easily. And so the question is, like, what could Nacho do to trigger Hector to make him take that pill again? Uh, and that could be something that involves Gus for sure. Uh, so there are, it could involve Mike, right? Like, there are a lot of good ways to bring things that exist in this story back into the Hector realm to cause him to lose his mind and take that pill again. Uh, and yeah, Nacho could be could be on board with that. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to, to this. What did you make of the fact that we start this episode seeing Hector make Nacho do something that Nacho didn't seem to want to do? Um, we see Crazy 8, uh, somebody that we've seen on this show before, who we know from the Breaking Bad universe is not only loosely connected to Jesse Pinkman but may also have been working with the feds as an informant at some level we don't know when that might have started so we don't know how much of that is in play right now he comes in very nervous to talk to Nacho it seems like he's nervous because his money is light but Nacho has to because of Hector beat Crazy 8 down Uh, and that's something he doesn't want to do and then the next thing we see is back at his dad's shop he cuts his hand sewing rob and barely reacts and that's what takes us into the credits what do you make of that where he cuts his hand and he has really no reaction he's
0: depressed him? he hates his life and he <laughs> doesn't feel anything anymore he's dead, he's inside. dead inside right working for Hector yeah. has really just uh made him into a shell of who he used to be and uh, he's like a cutter it's like he has to cut himself to feel something <laughs>
1: I like it. Uh, yeah. Or maybe put a bag over his head. Yeah. Uh, just to feel like there there is that in play for sure. And I think that's a Nacho who is going to be willing to stick his neck out and probably come at Hector. And I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, is that something where he's already working with Gus and that's going to upset Gus as a result? Or he's not working with Gus and it's going to upset Gus as a result? So Gus clearly has a larger plan in play. We see Gus in this episode, Rob, at a very famous Breaking Bad location, uh, So, in, and with a Breaking Bad character that we don't see until the very later seasons of Breaking Bad, so Gus is already working on building his empire sure. out, Rob. And, Hector is part of that. He has a bigger plan for Hector. We don't really know what it is right now, but he certainly does seem to have some bigger plan for Hector. Okay, so
0: a couple of things on all this. Let me just uh, throw a couple other things at you, Antonio. Uh, Just going back to the pills, um, while we've been talking about uh, could there be either a replacing of the pills or some sort of poison in play, it could also just be that we have a removal of the pills. What happens to Hector if he has one of these episodes and doesn't get that pill?
1: Yeah. uh, He needs that pill to keep him alive. Uh, That's a possibility. Um, Is it, is it a nitroglycerin? Is that what we're dealing with? Is it a chest pain pill? Like is that, is it to prevent uh, angina or, or something like that? I don't know if that's what we're talking about because the, the idea would be, I guess, if he doesn't have his pill, he'd have a heart attack. Uh, it seems more likely that what puts him in that wheelchair since he's unable to speak or unwilling to speak and he only uses the bell is a stroke. Mm-hmm. Um, a stroke could, could be caused by similar things and a lack of medication could lead to that as well. I don't really know what specific medication it was, but it seems very likely that you could see a stroke if he doesn't take the medicine. Yeah.
0: Then, I wonder if there is no relationship yet between Nacho and Gus. But I wonder if uh, Nacho, you know, came to Gus and said, Hey, look, this is what Hector is thinking. And he's going to ruin my dad's business that if I was able to put a stop to this, uh, is there a place for me within your organization?
1: Yeah. Or maybe Nacho goes to the one guy he knows for sure wants to kill Hector, which is Mike. Like maybe Nacho tracks Mike down and says, remember that thing you were going to do? You never did it. I'm in a position now where I need you to do it. And then that's where Mike says, I think I got a guy who you need to talk to. I got to. a guy. And Mike makes the
0: connection. <laughs> do you like nachos?
1: Uh. <laughs> is that a menu item at Los Pollos Hermanos? Chicken nachos? Like, could we see that? Like, uh, But I could see Mike bringing nacho to Gus because I could see nacho going to Mike and saying, I will pay you to do the thing I wanted you to do before. Like, let's end the Salamanca's. And Mike says, well, it's a lot more complicated than that. Like, uh, And then Mike is the one who brings nacho but, to Gus. So I Yeah, for sure.
0: Nacho does not exist in the Breaking Bad universe, so something must go awry.
1: Something must go awry. He is mentioned. We think. I like a pimento
0: loaf on rye.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just want to listen to my baseball game. I don't care about building a playground. I did. (laughs) <laughs> I did. Yeah, that sounds like me. That sounds like me. I love that. We'll talk about that. Uh, but yeah, I I do like the idea that 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 Nacho could still be alive in the Breaking Bad universe and maybe just not somebody we saw in the He's with Gus Enterprise. Kim. He, that's interesting. Kim likes Nachos. I did not know that. She's a baseball fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she could. He's with Kim and Chuck, and they're all like on an island somewhere where none of them died, uh, and they're just uh, they're just in the witness protection program or something. Yeah, I don't know, um, but I think it's possible because when when Saul's in the desert, he says with Walt and Jesse when he's got he's been black bagged, He said, "Who did this to you? Was it the cartel, Ignacio?" So he mentions somebody that we think is probably Nacho. Sure. We have no confirmation that it is. It's just somebody with the same name, uh, and the idea might be depending on what the writers have said, it could be the same guy. So he could still be around in that universe. And we just don't know.
0: Can you explain the relationship here between uh, Hector's cartel or uh, Hector's crew and Gus's crew? Because I thought that they were like totally independent. They both worked for the cartel. But why does Hector's crew uh, get drugs from Gus?
1: I think that's a good question. Uh, and it seems to be that Gus lets it happen. What we saw in last week's episode – I'm sorry, two weeks ago's episode – was that they were co-equal businesses, according to Gus, that they both worked for the cartel. They both had territories that were cartel territories that they oversaw, and that at some point, as we saw in flashback – that was that the case was that that Hector was ahead of Gus that he was a boss and that that uh that Juan uh Bolsa uh, and Hector were these equal like capos for Don Eladio that they were equal like enforcers or they had their own positions that were equal with Don Eladio and then at some point Gus has seemingly passed Hector by, uh, and they're theoretically on the same level now in that they're both equal. Gus says, like, did you clear this with the cartel? Did you do this? But because the fact that Hector started ahead of Gus, because he was already buying that business – but when he was a level higher than Gus, it seems like Hector still thinks of Gus as just the uh, the chicken brother that he looks down upon. And Gus is letting that persist because he has a bigger plan in play for Hector. And we know from the flash forward, when we see the Los Pollos Hermanos truck driving on that route uh, with the shoes that fall down, that Gus does win this battle. We know Hector ends up in a wheelchair in the desert. So at this point, Gus is letting it happen. I don't think that this is something that should happen by virtue of their their level in the cartel. It's something that Gus is letting happen. And you see Hector, he doesn't want to continue to work with Gus. He's telling Nacho, like, I want to find another way to get my product over. I don't want to have to rely on this guy. So Hector's not totally cool with it either. Uh, And it just seems like Gus has a bigger plan in play.
0: Okay. Speaking of Gus, we get to see Gus touring a warehouse And eventually this is going to be the location of the super lab that we're going to see Walt and Jesse spend a lot of time in starting in season three. Were you interested to see the genesis of Gus getting the super lab location?
1: Yeah, because it seems like it's so far behind the timeline of when the lab gets built. My big, my big question has been throughout like who is cooking Gus's meth right now? Where is he getting his product? And it seems like he's getting it cooked in Mexico or south of the border and bringing it over in his Los Pollos Hermanos trucks, as we saw in this episode. If that was even meth, I'm not sure it was. Like maybe Gus is working coke for the cartel. Uh, we we have some idea that he's selling meth and his product is selling really well and he's doing really well. We've seen that, but we don't really know what the nature of his business is. It was surprising to me to see that he is already working with Lydia, who was part of this much larger global cooperative that was part of his business being really, really, really successful and much bigger than just a local Albuquerque-based business. So he's already at that level and yet doesn't have the super lab. This is the laundry, so he's probably going to buy it, turn it into an operational laundry for a while. And only in the context of Breaking Bad do we see that lab actually get built. So he's going to be looking for a while for a chemist who can fill the need uh, to make the product the way he wants it because it's not being made in that lab until Walter shows up. So he's buying a thing that doesn't show up till later. Do we know
0: necessarily that Gus is in the meth business before like uh does he want to expand into meth where maybe he has uh some other drug business going on that he's called like the distribution master but if he could sort of like control the uh creation of the meth in house and not have to smuggle it across the border from Mexico then it seems like that that might be a more lucrative business for him to be involved in.
1: Yes, that seems like the case for sure. And recall, that's the pitch that he made to Don Eladio in the flashback scene in Breaking Bad, where his original partner, Max, is murdered. He is pitching Don Eladio on that very thing. He's saying right now you sell cocaine and you move cocaine in from Colombia. It's not being made in Mexico. As a result, you are totally beholden to that part of the operation you're not getting the product yourself you don't have your own product you're getting it from someone else they're making a ton of money off of it and you're making some money you could make more by making your own product that's his pitch to donald audio and his specific pitch regards meth donald audio looks down on it and says that's what bikers use that's dirty stuff and gus is saying at the time no We have a way with our formulas and Max, the chef, it's totally pure. It's great. It's not like that bank biker crank you've heard of. And then they kill his cook right in front of him. And so that's been my question throughout, right? Which is he originally wanted to pitch meth. He originally wanted to sell meth. He had a good recipe. And Don Eladio shut him down on that. Now it seems like that product that we're seeing in the Los Pollos Hermanos truck is white. It seems like cocaine. But it, recall, it's Walter White's meth that's blue. Uh, and it's blue because it's so pure. That stands out because it's blue. So just because that's white doesn't mean it's not meth. We don't 100% know what that product is.
0: But it doesn't look like it's crystals. It it looks like it's powder. powder. Right. So it's
1: probably cocaine. So he is probably not fully in the meth business yet. But by his connection to Lydia, it sure seems like that's what he wants to do. Because remember, Lydia is the one who had the connections to the key chemicals and ingredients that were needed to make the meth that could be ordered and acquired without showing up on a list somewhere. Uh, And it was her ability to get the chemicals through magical electromotive that was a key element of why she came back into the story with Walt and Jesse once Gus is out of the picture. So if he's not making meth yet because he doesn't have a lab, he's getting his product from across the border, he's not, you know, it doesn't seem to be in the meth business yet, that seems to be his bigger plan. Uh, And that is still maybe him thinking about executing on a plan that he had a long time ago that he's been right about all along and he's just been looking for the right pieces to fill in. So unfortunately for Walter White, it sure seems like in the context of Breaking Bad, like He's the guy that Gus has always been looking for when he shows up in the story. Like if Gus has wanted to actually build a meth business and doesn't have one yet. So that's fascinating. It's fascinating to watch the Gus Fring world and to learn more about it because that's something we just don't know from Breaking Bad. Like what level was he at when? What are all the aspects of his business? To see Lydia already in this story to me represents the fact that he's already looking globally. And we remember Lydia was pitching him on a global part of that business. So – it's fascinating to think about. I, even though Gus was barely in this episode, what was in this episode was fascinating.
0: But to me, it does seem like that if Gus is not already in the meth business and does not have somebody who knows the meth creation secrets. And, and yes, he may have the recipe, but in terms of like the equipment that he would need to be able to do this, it just seems like that he would be setting something up, which would not necessarily be in his wheelhouse.
1: Right. Um, him, him specifically. Right. And yeah. we see in Breaking Bad, when we look at the super lab, all that equipment is still in plastic uh, when Walt sets the lab up. Like, it is very much still nascent. Does that mean there was never a lab in that room? Does that mean there was a lower scale lab? Do we know if there was another incident? We don't really know. He's got Gail Bettiker on deck by Breaking Bad, but it doesn't seem like Gail is his consistent meth chef. So that's always been the fascinating part to me is where, where where is that? Like where are we with Gus and Meth? So you're right. Like he does not seemingly know everything. He knows how to find the people to make that work though. And the question is did he find someone before Gale or was Walt his first real foray into this? And it, if if Walt was his first real foray into this, this is a business that he's always wanted to do. So it seems like he would have found somebody before Walt. And the question is like who is that and why aren't they in play by Breaking Bad?
0: Okay, and then the return or the first appearance here of Lydia, were you excited to see her or do you feel like are we getting too fanservice-y with all of these cameos now?
1: Yeah, I think as I've really said, like I was excited because it makes me feel like Gus is a lot further along than I thought he was, that he's already dealing with this global representative and the kind of person who is interested in taking his business globally and getting him very large scale stuff. That doesn't seem like the Gus Fring that we know who is still doing money drops at Los Boyos Hermanos, like in this in the Better Call Saul timeline. So even though he's got henchmen, even though he's working for the cartel, he's working for the cartel. He's not in his own business. And the question is, like... Was he in his own business and we didn't know, or was this his first foray? And the fact that we see Lydia this early into our Gus Fring BCS timeline makes me feel like he's a lot farther along in that realm than I thought he was. And so I'm fascinated to see what that looks like. How else is that going to manifest? Is there going to be another chemist in play? Is there going to be more incidents with Gus in the meth business before we get in with Walter White? That So Lydia showing up now makes me like very excited by realizing that Gus is a lot further. He's already looking at the laundry, Rob. Like he's a lot further along in this than I thought he was at least. Yeah. Does Mike already know Lydia at the
0: time of when we get to the fifth
1: season of Breaking Bad? I don't think that we ever know one way or the other. I think that we see that Mike does know Lydia by the right, time. Right, because
0: if I remember, he's like at her house and he's yes. going to kill her and then her daughter is there, right?
1: Right, right. And, and that's he, not and the he first can't time go through with like- it. That's not the first time she's met him. Right. Yeah, he can't go through with it, and that could be because of Kaylee. Uh, but we also, we just don't know that, we don't really see a scene where they're like, oh, I've never met you before. Like, it's nice to meet you. Like, we okay, don't see I that. guess
0: I can't kill you now.
1: <laughs> what we see is like, uh, we see ultimately, we see ultimately that she is there, Uh she meets with Mike, and it's that whole plan where she's, she's saying to Mike, like, you have to kill all these people. She knows the operation pretty well by that point. So I think Mike and she already know each other by that point. Uh, her introduction is basically her telling Mike in season five, got to go kill all the people now that Gus is off the board. These people are going to flip. You need to kill them all. And she actually tries to have Mike killed. So that's what we know about Lydia and Mike at the beginning of season five. It certainly doesn't seem like their first meeting.
0: Okay. Uh, Then, Mike, we see him at some sort of a meeting or church group with his daughter-in-law. What do you make of this, Antonio? Where is this going?
1: I'm curious about this. Uh, I was going to ask you the same thing. We're back to this on some level, Rob. Do you think that Mike knows that—well, first of all, do you think that his uh, daughter-in-law is willfully manipulating his love of his son to get things done that she wants? A playground at the church? That's what she's manipulating him to do? Well, she got her house. Like, I don't know what else she's going to get. He was upset. Like, he was taken aback by this. And then she said... She tells this huge story about how, oh, Mikey always said that you did this because you thought people were ripping you off. And he talked about it. Yeah, I did. He talked about you like you hung the moon, Mike. That's what he did. So I don't know. I thought you could handle it. Like, I feel like she's bringing Mike up or his son up specifically to manipulate him in that moment. It's just so it's relevant to me that when she's trying to sell him on something, her pivot is to their their shared grief And she knows that that's going to push it over the line. I don't know what her bigger plan is or if this is just a pattern where she manipulates his emotions and feelings, but that's what's happening as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah, I definitely get what you're saying in terms of uh, what her end goals might be. But just to have him work on a playground for the church, I mean, that seems like kind of a noble thing to have Mike do. I don't necessarily know how that helps her. Like she has an ulterior motive.
1: So why was this scene in the episode then? Just to have Mike in the episode? Well, or is it- Mike, again,
0: wasn't in last week's episode. You're going to go two weeks without Mike?
1: I don't know. Maybe there's a better way to have Mike in this in the show that isn't just him like gr- begrudgingly doing chores for his daughter-in-law. Like I don't know how this moves the ball for Mike, except. I thought it was an interesting contrast to the Jimmy and Rebecca situation. Rebecca's appealing to Jimmy's sense of humanity. This is your brother. Do something. And when, when Stacy makes the same pitch to Mike, like, this is what your son said about you. Can't you do something? Then Mike does come around. Unlike Jimmy, who isn't receptive to that pitch to his humanity, Mike still has some humanity left in that regard. So I thought that that was an interesting contrast. But I don't know why this is in the, the series. We, we saw, for example, When Mike and Jimmy, who Mike doesn't love working with Jimmy, we've already seen, like when when they were eating breakfast uh, and Mike was handing him the pictures after he fixed the door and Jimmy was wanting to talk shop about Chuck, Mike didn't want to keep talking. But when Jimmy said, like, hey, thanks for doing this, Mike actually said, it was nice to fix something for once. And yet now Mm -hmm. here, Stacy is asking Mike to do the very thing he already expressed that he liked doing with Jimmy. And he's reticent about it. Like, he doesn't want to do it. So my question is, like, why doesn't he want to do it? After we already heard him say he liked fixing things, why is this something that he doesn't want to do?
0: Uh, that's a fair point. I mean, do you think that Mike I mean, he went to this meeting with her, so I was going to say, it's he already suspicious about his daughter-in-law, so I don't think that that's the case. Uh, I don't know that maybe he just feels like uh, he's busy.
1: Well, we know he already has reason to be suspicious because she said when she was in her old house that people were running down the street shooting guns, and he sat out all night, and he heard a noise. It was the newspaper. He knew there was no gunfire, and the next day he's at work, she begs him to come over and says someone has shot the house in the middle of the night. He knew that wasn't true because he sat there and watched it not be true. And yet he still bought her the new house and put himself in a position where he has to pay for that house. And so he already knows that she is a little she's a little tilted and she's a little I think he just sees her as a little touched and a little bit uh, concerned with what she's doing. And therefore, that's where she's at. So I think that that's what's happening with him generally. I don't think he thinks she's just specifically lying and manipulating him. I think she thinks that she's very upset over what happened with, with her husband and he still feels guilty about it so he will go out and do anything in the name of that. But I don't know why he was so reticent about building this playground to begin with. It seems like, as you point out, he's willing to go to the church group with her. He acquiesces and says, you know, if that's what you need, I'll go back. And yet he draws the line at fixing something, which is something that he's already expressed that he liked doing when he helped Jimmy... I don't really know. I feel like something else is going on here. I feel like this is the beginning of something, like we saw with what's happening with Nacho in a much bigger way. This is the beginning of something for Mike, and we'll have to look back at the scene later when we have more information about what Mike's doing and see and see what the real uh, what was really going on here with Mike because it was a very weird scene for me in the context of this episode. I feel like if you're going to move the ball with Mike, there's a better way to do this. This just recentered his situation with Stacy and had her manipulating him again. And- and her being re- him being reticent, but ultimately going along with it. I, it's just another incident that we've already seen a lot of in the show.
0: Well, I thought the whole thing with the church group was actually a weird scene, and I thought that it was presented in an unusual way with sort of like that rotating shot around the room. I mean, why do you think that they did it that way? Just to have Mike as a reveal at the end, or do they showcase like all the different people that were in this group?
1: Yeah, I think it's more of Mike being the reveal, uh, and it's just a directorial flair, but there's a possibility there's something more to it. Uh, We've seen support group settings in this universe before, uh, specifically with Jesse Pinkman, but this is something that we've seen before. I I didn't see any faces in there that were familiar faces. This seemed to be a support group of people who have lost someone, uh, and that was what was going on there. She's telling stories about the uh, – probably for parents or people that, that have lost somebody, that just seemed like what was going on with this support group. And so it's funny to think of Mike in a 12-step group. Uh, Rob, uh, would you think Mike would be able to recite like uh, any of the 12 steps or would Mike uh, – what would Mike – Mike really wouldn't, I don't think, normally appreciate being in this setting. Dear
0: Lord, give me the forgiveness to be able to control what I can or whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah, Mike and serenity don't necessarily go serenity
0: together. now, insanity <laughs> later. That's what I always say.
1: <laughs> so there's a there's comedic potential in just seeing Mike in this setting and the real the reveal is funny on that level. But I don't know. I just I was very this more than any scene this episode. I was like, what are we what's what's, what's really happening here? Yeah. Like where is this going? Why are we back to Mike's daughter-in-law manipulating him? Like, what is the ultimate end game for that?
0: I, I just go back to. I think it was you don't want to have two weeks with no Mike.
1: Yeah, I just feel like maybe there's a better way to write Mike into that story that isn't that. But uh, but yeah, you're right. We had to get some Mike.
0: Okay, Antonio. Anything else from Off Brand?
1: <laughs> is there any more meaning to the title uh, besides Jimmy being off-brand? Is anybody else behaving in an off-brand kind of way or making you feel like uh, off-brand is a title that, that resonates on more than just the Jimmy level?
0: Uh, that's a good question. They usually do a very good job uh, with these titles. Hmm. Um
1: Something for the comments. I think if people have any other ideas of how this is off brand, uh, we don't really. We know that Gus is seemingly off brand, and that he's looking at expanding a business that doesn't seem like where we're at with that business right now. Uh, Chuck is off brand, I guess, in that he's willing to seek help now, which is not something he was willing to do before. Howard, as always, is fully on brand. I think Kim is on brand. So I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to see. Uh, this was a good chess pieces episode. I don't. I don't know that we've seen a better call Saul. Episode. Rob where we have served so many storylines and we've served so many characters this is one of the, the biggest ones for sure
0: Alan Sepinwall called it a bit of a Peace Mover episode and uh, I I would agree with that It wasn't necessarily I think coming it was a letdown uh, Coming off of last week's show Not necessarily a bad episode but Definitely that we were sort of just like It felt like that it was A bit of a peak Last week where everything In the first half of the season was culminating To the trial and Then we got that and then I felt like That we were sort of just like resetting The board for the the second half of the season, it's almost like uh, in a lot of seasons of twenty four, where there's like one big plot line that's going on, and then that's at like you know twelve thirteen hours in, and then there's like a secondary plot line for the season that starts to emerge, and I feel like that this was the beginning of that.
1: Yeah, the Nacho stuff, especially for me, is the biggest representation of that. Uh, Michael Mando and Nacho have been underserved in this season, considering the role that he's played in the first two seasons of this show. And I think more than anything, this was a Nacho episode. Uh, I think more than any Nacho episode we've seen so far, uh, this was a lot of Nacho. And I think that seeing that he's at odds with Hector, having the stuff set up with his dad, having all of that set up, watching Hector put him through the paces of having to deliver muscle in a way he didn't want to, I think that that's a very interesting thing that they set up. So because of all the nacho work, it felt like it's, it's naturally going to feel like a reset, especially since that's with what we started with. So that was it. One final question. Speaking of peaks – David I think this is PK's I apologize if I've mispronounced David's name David says with Saul being suspended or Jimmy being suspended one year could we see a time jump of one year or more at some point this season or to start next season Rob is there room for a time jump in the rest of this season
0: yeah I think that Breaking Bad has uh, certainly done its share of montages and I think that that's something that could be in play I do think that we're going to see a little bit more like uh, if If not necessarily um, a time jump in between where we get from season three to season four, I feel like that we'll spend at least a few more episodes in the immediate future
1: it does yeah and in the you could time jump the jimmy stuff but i'm not sure you could time jump a lot of the other stories you could certainly time jump chuck you could time jump jimmy uh but i'm not sure you can well especially
0: if chuck is going to be getting better and we want to see sort of like over the course of this year where jimmy is suspended where it takes six months but chuck is like you know some sort of like training montage where he's like uh you know going back out going to like bigger batteries yeah putting them
1: in his mouth yeah right right and then
0: he ultimately is starting to like, uh, like he's rising, but Jimmy is like taking on like seedier clients or whatever, um, and Kim is getting more frustrated. I think we could end up doing a montage in that way.
1: Yeah, we could have "Gonna Fly Now" from Rocky Play, and instead of hitting sides of beef, Chuck is like punching like electrical systems, <laughs> climbing telephone poles, uh, you know, doing running upstairs and uh, touching an electrical uh, door opener. Like there are options for Chuck to be Rocky, and I'm I'm here for that, Rob. Like I yeah. like a Chuck montage, but I don't see how you can montage through the Nacho uh, Hector stuff. I feel like that is something. That feels more imminent and that feels more like there's more immediacy to that. And I don't see Nacho sitting on all that. With Hector saying, talk to your dad, I want this to happen, there's a sense of urgency there. So I don't think we can time jump till we resolve that.
0: Yeah, I think you're right about that. All right, Antonio, um, you have a hashtag for this week's episode.
1: <laughs> I don't have a good suggestion. Do you How have about one? Nacho Supreme. Nacho Supreme. That's, that was right away, but I like that. This is a Nacho Supreme episode. So let's go with hashtag Nacho Supreme.
0: Okay. All right. And then what else? Uh, Of course, uh, you and Josh Wiggler have been uh, doing your deep dive into the uh, leftovers, which I've been thoroughly enjoying.
1: Yeah, thank you. Uh, We're having a great time. We record two episodes a week about the leftovers. If you're not watching that show, I'm sure I've made the pitch before, but you can binge and catch up before the end of the series. Uh, Season one, the first half is a little slow, but by the end of season one, it's really humming. Rob, there's not a more absurd show on TV right now. Just the bonker stuff that shows up on the leftovers. There's really nothing like it. I uh, I don't even know what uh, words to use to describe uh, this last week's episode. Except it was uh, it was certainly nuts. Yeah.
0: Yes. Uh, it certainly I'm was. Not, I'm not lying
1: about that. Yeah.
0: No. No, you're not. Um, <laughs> so good. Good job there. And of course, uh, that's all on post-show recaps. .com. Of course, uh, one week from now, we will get into Episode 7 of uh, Better Call Saul. And then, Antonio, it's like the end of the season is uh, almost over the horizon.
1: It is. And I think that I think that it's a good call that we might get a time jump before the end of the season. But this nacho stuff is coming. I'm, I'm, I'm here for that, Rob.
0: Okay, what's next week's episode called? Do we know?
1: Uh, I have not looked that up. That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. So uh, I guess it'll be a surprise. Do you have any info on that?
0: No. Uh, the... Coming Attraction uh, didn't look especially uh, like anything crazy was happening, but it felt like that they were trying to make it seem crazier with the music.
1: Yeah, it it seems like uh, next week's episode is going to be called Expenses.
0: Oh. Yeah, Expenses. That doesn't sound that
1: exciting. (laughs) I don't know. They'll find a way, I guess. They'll find a way. What
0: sounds more exciting, Off-Brand or Expenses.
1: I think expenses sounds a little more exciting than off-brand. Expenses are like cost of doing business, and I could feel like in the criminal enterprise, that could lead to some dirty business.
0: Okay. All right. Thank you guys so much uh, for listening. Of course, uh, great job, as usual, Antonio. You can follow Antonio on Twitter. He is at AC Mazzaro. Two Zs, one R.
1: Yeah, better call Antonio.
0: Okay. Uh, And I'm at Rob Sestrino. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.